Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. My guest for this episode is the Reverend Dr. John Mabry. John is an author, songwriter, spiritual director, and seminary professor. A retired United Church of Christ minister, John served as pastor at Grace North Church in Berkeley for 27 years. His 35 books include, on the academic and nonfiction side, Spirituality, Spiritual Direction, and Theology, and on the fiction side, Science Fiction and Fantasy. John is the vocalist for two progressive rock bands, Mind Future and Metaphor, but has also just released his first solo album, the folk-influenced I Want to Be Changed. John is here to share with us his work and his music. So welcome, John. Thank you for being with me. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, why don't we begin by uh, letting you tell your own spiritual journey. Uh, it's been a, an amazing journey. So why don't, why don't you uh, tell us about that story? Well, it, it, it certainly has. I, um, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist. Um, and, you know, Southern Baptist in the 70s wasn't uh, necessarily as fundamentalist as <laughs> Southern Baptist in the 80s. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, but they certainly did uh, start to, to lean that way as the 70s progressed. And um, um, we actually, uh, my family got, got pitched out on our ear by um, the, the, the church we were in uh, because we, uh, we wouldn't... Uh, we, we wouldn't give blind obedience to the pastor. And I understand, um, I understand that, that mentality, that mindset that developed. And that's, oh same. yeah, it was really, really sad. And it was really traumatic at the time too. So uh, uh, actually I think my dad put in for his transfer from Illinois to California to get our family out of that church. Mm. Um, so um uh, you know, we landed in California and, uh, you know, I was just, a, I was a teenager. I was in high school and, um, I really did not have the resources to, uh, sort through the religious wounding, uh, and the, you know, the, the spiritual trauma that I had, uh, had experienced and, um, finally just kind of gave up on the church. And, um, you know, so when my friends got into sex, drugs and rock and roll, uh, I was right along, <laughs> I was right mm -hmm. along with them, uh, and glad to do so. Um, but then, um, I was driving to Disneyland with a friend and, um, and, um, uh, my girlfriend at the time and my friend, Bob's girlfriend at the time. And, uh, I asked him, I said, Bob, what is God? And, and Bob had been raised by hippies. So uh, I knew I wasn't going to get the answer from him that I uh, <laughs> typically got um, from people at church. And he told me that he saw the universe as this gigantic, seemingly chaotic, um, but ultimately uh, rhythmic dance. And everything knows the steps, the stars, the angels, the demons, the plants, the animals, and the only part of creation that has forgotten the steps to the dance is humankind. And that our religious traditions are our, our feeble attempts to get back into the steps of the cosmic dance. And that just hit me with the force of a revelation. Um, 
And honest, honestly, I, I cried for two days and, um, and I realized that, uh, you know, my culture was Christianity. And so if I was going to learn to boogie, um, uh, that was probably going to be the way to do it because, uh, those were the steps I knew. Um, and so I came back to the church as a universalist. Um, and, uh, I imagine I, uh, have continued in that ever since, um, uh, the, uh, the wideness in God's mercy, for instance, being, being, being bigger than, um, uh, the ideas, uh, about, uh, well, God's judgment that I grew up with. Um, so that started me back on a, a spiritual path again. And, um, uh, when I was in college, I went to California Baptist college, um, in Riverside, California. And, uh, while I was there, I converted to the Episcopal church, um, because it was in the Episcopal church that I, uh, well, I think that I really met Jesus, um, that, uh, I was, uh, introduced to a God that was truly loving, um, rather than a God of judgment. Uh, I remember, um, being in church and, uh, asking my rector, uh, you know, I'm having trouble with Paul. And I remember him saying, Oh, forget Paul, just listen to Jesus. <laughs> and just hearing that, just having that permission, to listen to Jesus and ignore Paul for the time being, you know, and since then I have come to be, uh, to become, uh, uh, you know, um, reconciled to Paul, but, uh, you know, it took a good 20 years to do that. And that's all right. You know, this is an eternal journey. We got time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was incredibly healing just to listen to Jesus because there's a big difference between Jesus and churchianity. And, uh, just listening to Jesus was uh, one of the most healing things. I like that word, churchianity. Hadn't heard that. That's a good <laughs> word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I uh, uh, felt called to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church, um, but I was an oxymoron. I was a poor Episcopalian. And um, so um, uh, I uh, eventually found a home in the old Catholic movement. And I uh, served as an old Catholic priest for 15 years and uh, was later elected bishop. I served as bishop for five years. Um, and then um, uh, I did a joint process with the parish that I had been serving at for many years to uh, be received into the United Church of Christ. We were kind of an Anglican Rite uh, congregational church anyway, and so uh, we had uh, congregational roots, and so we did this process, and so I've been a United Church of Christ pastor for since about uh, 2008. I was pastor at Grace North Church in Berkeley, California for 27 years, and um, uh, just left that, uh, that position uh, last year when uh, my wife decided to go back to being a veterinarian. So uh, her license is good in New York. So here we are, <laughs> we, here we are in the foothills of the Catskills um, uh, in the snow and, uh, and absolutely loving it. So I am, uh, I am a retired pastor um, and uh, mostly spend my time teaching comparative theology and spiritual direction and um, uh, writing novels and, um, 
and uh, uh, I've got a small practice in spiritual direction and supervision as well. Well, talk a little bit about um, the, because I, I know that there is uh, some discussion on kind of the difference, not big difference, but nonetheless difference in universalism and pluralism. Um, you know, so talk about that a little bit and, uh, you know, where you kind of come down in that conversation. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I've changed a lot, um, since, uh, I had that first initial vision. Um, uh, I think that, uh, my original or, 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 or naive universalism was that the Christian God wasn't going to send anybody to hell. Um, and, um, I certainly, uh, studied pluralism. Um, and, uh, I did my PhD in, um, world religions. Um, and, uh, uh, I, uh, one of the things that was most amazing about that journey, um, was that every time I would discover a practice or a teaching in another religion, when I would come back to Christianity, if I dug for it, I would find it in Christianity as well, that practice or that teaching. Um, and that just kind of blew my mind and made me realize, you know, there, there really is a universality to this. Um, you know, that isn't to say that all religions are the same. I don't think they are, especially soteriologically. Um, I think what different religions are trying to save us from uh, are, are different things. And the means by which they go about it are are, are likewise different, um, but nevertheless, there's, there's there's an awful lot of overlap, and um, I find that overlap uh, intriguing and exciting. Um, and when we when we do interfaith dialogue, we've you know there's there's three main positions. One is exclusivism, we're right, everybody else is wrong, uh, and then there is inclusivism, um, and inclusivism says. Well, we're really right, but you're right enough uh, to be out of danger. Um, and then there's pluralism, which is everybody has a bit of the truth and everybody is, is probably equally wrong as well, but we're, uh, we're, we're all crawling together towards the light uh, or stumbling towards the light as best we can. Um, I have to say I have a, a, a lot of sympathy for pluralism. Um, but I've also been really been intrigued by um, the Lutheran theologian S. Mark Heim, who has a really subtle um, version of inclusivism um, that has captured my imagination. And uh, I'm not I'm not quite fully on board, but I'm really kind of <laughs> I kind of can't 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 shake it. Um, and uh, uh, he's basically saying that um, uh, that there are multiple eschatological ends, that whatever covenant we sign on to, the mystery behind the universe will honor that covenant. So if we sign on to the Christian covenant, we get baptized, uh, then when we, when we die, um, then we will uh, enjoy life with God in heaven. Um, but if you sign on to the Buddhist covenant, um, and you are working towards uh, re release moksha into nirvana, then um, uh, then the mystery behind the universe will grant that to you as well. Um, 
and I think that Heim, you know, believes that the the that the Christian faith is actually the most correct one, but that God in in God's mercy um, is going to honor whatever way of connecting um, people have chosen. Um, and he talks in his uh, his book, The Abundance of the Riches, about um, uh, there being religions of the Father, religions of the Son, and religions of the Spirit. So it's kind of a Trinitarian approach. So there are religions that primarily connect with the Father, like Judaism and Islam, uh, and perhaps Kashmir Shaivism. Um, and then there are religions of the Son who connect uh, to the divine largely through the incarnation. Um, so for Christians, that would be Jesus, or for um, Vishnaic Hindus, that would be Krishna or Rama. Um, and then um, there are those who connect to the mystery through the spirit. And um, uh, that's kind of a catch-all basket for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's such an intriguing notion. And and, and I, uh, I'm intrigued for, by it because it provides a way for Christians to understand how other religions can fit into, um, uh, you know, into a theological structure that, that makes sense to us. Um, but at the same time, I, I equally uh, realize that um, uh, if you're a, a, a Buddhist, then you may need an, a, a different theological framework um, in, in, in order to hold everybody. And I think that's just fine too. Um, I think one of the most important, important aspects of doing theology in an interfaith perspective is a, a good dose of theological humility. Well, you have uh, personally kind of uh, journeyed into other traditions um, and, and, and written about that, uh, the, the, your experience with the Tao Te Ching, uh, you're following the path of the Buddha, and then the development of Buddhism, and then into shamanism. Yes, um, yeah. So uh, kind of talk about those three paths, those three journeys. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself syncretistic. Um, my, my, I don't self-identify as interfaith. Um, I self-identify as a Christian um, with um, perhaps... Uh, uh, a bit too much knowledge than is good for me of other traditions. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, for my PhD, I, um, uh, my primary co concentrations were in uh, Hinduism and Taoism. So I, uh, I learned classical Chinese and I did my um, a translation of the Tao Te Ching, which is the primary scripture of Taoism, um, and wrote a book on uh, comparing uh, Lao Tzu's teachings in the Tao Te Ching and Jesus's teachings uh, in the Gospels, um, and you know, uh, talked about the things, the parallels that I saw, um, uh, the the common teachings there, and um, uh, and just kind of in inviting uh, readers, especially Christian readers, into a more spiritually generous place when it comes to uh, relating to people of other spiritual traditions. Well, one of the connections that you uh, talk about uh, and it's apparent in your writings is the, is the path of mysticism. Uh-huh. 
uh, that that kind of draws it all together for you. Um, when, when did that journey start and, and how did that journey appeal to you? Well, I think it started as I was as a Southern Baptist. I mean, mysticism is the pursuit of or the enjoyment of union with the divine. And, um, you know, uh, when I was eight years old, I asked Jesus into my heart and um, was born again um, and was taught that the Holy Spirit lived in me. Well, that's that's mysticism right there. So, you know, Christianity is an inherently mystical religion because we do believe that we are uh, joined to the body of Christ, that we are uh, inhabited by the same spirit that inhabited Jesus. That is, that is a mystical teaching right there. Um, so I think my fascination with, with mysticism began pretty, pretty darn young. Um, and of course, every tradition has a way of understanding that union. Um, uh, and one of the things that I have found so fascinating is uh, is just exploring uh, different traditions' story of how that union comes about and what it looks like. Well, folks that tend to have a mystical approach. To spirituality, um, don't tend to be as practical as you are. <laughs> I, I do not know what you mean. What do you What do you mean by that? Because when you look at when you look at your writings, uh-huh. uh, the you know the number of books that you produce that are how tos, uh-huh. uh, you know, um, that's rather unusual in my experience of observing folks that are. Uh, uh, mystically oriented, um, you know, folks that read Thomas Merton tend not to go to him, uh, as a, as a practical manual of how to, uh, Frederick Beekner, same way, you know, those kind of folks Henry Nowen, um, and all the others, uh, you know, not including the ancient ones. Uh, but, but you've done that. So how do you, how do you negotiate uh, that, that path. Uh, well, if it's not practical, what good is it? I mean, I, I'm not really interested in spiritual masturbation. I really, I really want to, uh, want something that's going to make an impact in my life. And I especially want something that's going to, um, uh, that's going to facilitate, um, a, a real, um, communion with God. Um, and and that's I think why I found um, shamanism so uh, compelling and so fascinating, um, because uh, in studying shamanism I discovered a technique that um, once again when I came back to my own tradition I found that it was there uh, as well. So in in shamanism a person uses uh, active imagination to go into another world uh, and to interact with the beings in that world uh, and to seek uh, medicine. Um, it's why, uh, you know, the Native Americans talk about a medicine man uh, or uh, also known as a shaman. And medicine uh, isn't uh, a substance of any kind. It's wisdom. 
So when something is out of balance in the tribe or in the person or, you know, between uh, people and nature, uh, the, the shaman would go into the other world and seek medicine, seek wisdom, uh, and bring that wisdom back to restore uh, balance, which would restore health, uh, which would uh, ensure that the, that, that the tribe survives. So this, this method of using active imagination to access uh, a spiritual reality where one can gain wisdom and bring that back for a practical good in one's life, um, uh, I, I found that uh, to be incredibly helpful uh, in, in my own, my, in my own spiritual life. Um, and of course, uh, as I said, that, tra that tradition is, is also part of the Christian tradition. Um, Ignatian prayer is, is almost identical, uh, you know, in the exercises of St. Ignatius, a person uses active imagination to go into one of the scenes in the gospels. Uh, and then you notice what you see and what you smell and what the people around you are saying and what Jesus does and what Jesus says to you. And then you come back uh, into ordinary reality and you go and talk to your spiritual director and unpack the experience um, uh, for, you know, uh, uh, for the practical good of your of your, your daily spiritual life. Um, so very, very similar. Um, and so my prayer practice is basically, um, uh, doing a journey every day where I go and visit Jesus in his carpentry workshop. Uh, if the sun is down, if the sun is up, he'll be out by the lake. Um, and I, you know, basically just, uh, hang out for a little while. And, um, we sit in front of the fire and he drinks tea and I, uh, drink my soda and, uh, we talk about whatever it is that's on my heart that day. And you know what I'm afraid of, what I hope for, um, what I'm worried about. Mm, I ask for help and, and then, uh, you know, we go before the father and, uh, make my formal requests together. Um, but it's mostly the intimate time that I have with Jesus that has done the most for my spiritual healing. I would say that it was sitting in front of that fire, being held by him and being loved by him and being utterly, utterly safe with him that has healed all of the spiritual wounding that I experienced growing up. Um, and that is a miracle. That is just a miracle. And I learned that technique from shamanism. And I uh, am excited to, you know, to be able to teach that, that technique to other Christians. Because, you know, when we use active imagination, a lot of, you know, we are, we are kind of told in, in our culture to dismiss it because it's, you know, just in our heads. Uh, but I think that what shamanism shows us is that, uh, that the imagination is an organ of perception. It isn't 
you know, just a fantasy. It is a tool of communication. Um, it is a way to talk to God and to hear God's voice. Jesus says things to me in our, our daily morning cuddle that uh, I never would have thought of that are incredibly challenging sometimes and very insightful and very helpful. Um, do I think I'm actually talking to Jesus? Yes, 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 I do. Well, a lot of your uh, writings have to do with spiritual direction. Oh, they certainly do. Yeah. Uh, um, spiritual about that practice and um, your, your approach to that. Um, well, you know, spiritual direction, of course, has a long history in the, in the Christian tradition. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, it is really, really catching on now beyond the Christian tradition. Um, uh, nearly 20 years ago, um, I started, uh, along with, um, sister Pam Falkowski, we designed a spiritual direction training program for the Chaplaincy Institute, which is an interfaith seminary in Berkeley. Um, uh, and we, we wanted to give it the same heft that, um, that the well-respected Catholic programs had, um, but we wanted it to be specifically interfaith. And um, the problem was that uh, there were no textbooks <laughs> from an interfaith perspective, and so I had to write them. Um, so I was staying one chapter ahead of our first class, uh, <laughs> trying to provide materials for them. Uh, and you know, that, that became my, uh, uh, my first book on spiritual direction, um, noticing the divine, uh, which has, has gone on to be, um, uh, a very popular, um, beginner's textbook in spiritual direction and, and programs, um, uh, uh, in many different programs. Um, and, um, so one of the things that we teach our students is that it's everybody's birthright to have a relationship with the divine and, uh, whatever it is, their conception of the divine is, it's still possible for there to be greater connection, um, and for a person to grow into greater spiritual wholeness. And so holding that space for a person as they, they have that conversation with the divine um, is, is what spiritual directors do. I liken it to couples counseling, where the, uh, the couple is the client and the divine, and um, uh, I'm just the couples counselor um, trying to facilitate the conversation so that they can find the kind of intimacy that they, they both so deeply desire. Um, and I think that key to uh, the success of spiritual direction is the ability of the spiritual director to connect with the divine. So I always tell my students that your, 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 your number one task is to make a conscious connection with the divine. And, um, and if you can make that connection and you can hold that connection throughout the session with your client, um, 
then that's really the lion's share of the work because the divine will show up and do all the heavy lifting uh, if you can do that. Um, and, you know, it's not that I don't think that, uh, uh, that the divine is always present, that isn't always present, because of course the divine is always present, but there's something that changes when we are conscious of it, when we tune into it, when we connect to it. Um, the air changes, it becomes electric. There is, uh, there is a force speaking through us that is greater than ourselves. Um, if I try to do spiritual direction under my own steam, you know, if I'm lucky, I won't hurt anybody. Um, uh, but there isn't going to be any great transformation. But if I can go in there and I can connect with Jesus and really hold that connection throughout a session, um, I see miracles in front of my eyes every single day. Well, how have you found um, the pandemic uh, and the need to do counseling direction by Zoom or some other such medium where you're not face-to-face, -face, but yet because of the pandemic, people are forced often into aloneness that, that drives a need for spiritual direction. Uh, how have you found that experience? Well, I do find that spiritual direction has been very helpful for people in kind of managing uh, the isolation and the, uh, you know, the stresses of this time, um, you know, mostly because we're inviting people to bring those stresses to God and not to try to bear them on their own. Um, but, um, uh, you know, in truth, I, I did a lot of my practice by telephone before, uh, before it happened. So just moving everything to either Zoom or the telephone wasn't uh, that huge uh, a shift. Um, and to be honest, I prefer to work on the telephone rather than Zoom just because I find it more intimate. But, and, and you feel like that there are things that are able to be done just as well without being in person? Well, certainly it would be preferable to be in person, but the miracles still happen. Okay. You know, God, God still shows up. Yeah. God has a tendency to do that. <laughs> you betcha. Well, among the many things, creative things you do, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to those, um, but is music. Well, yeah, and there's a, actually a good transition there because uh, when the, um, uh, you know, I had I've been in, in uh, a couple of progressive rock bands for many years, or about 20 years, um, but when the, um, when the, when COVID hit, and everything kind of locked down, one of the ways I kept myself sane was I booked a time in a recording studio once a week, uh, just one morning uh, a week. And I would drive down to Fremont and I would uh, go to the recording studio and work for three hours and then drive home. 
but it got me out of the house. It gave me a creative outlet during this time. And, uh, and a recording studio is a great place because you're in a different room from every, <laughs> everybody else. So it's kind of the ideal uh, uh, artistic uh, uh, setting for, uh, uh, for a pandemic. Um, now, you know, I've never thought about that, but that's true. It is. It is. It was great. Um, and so over the course of about, about 12 months, um, I recorded uh, 21 songs. Um, enough for two albums of, uh, of solo material. And, um, you know, my albums with the band are, are very much, much progressive. They're very prog. So lots of synthesizer, uh, you know, uh, very rocky. And I, I decided to take a really different tack for the solo albums. Um, and, um, I wanted to go in a much more Americana kind of direction. So there's, you'll find a lot of acoustic guitar, uh, a lot of fiddle, a lot of accordion. Um, so I wouldn't exactly, you know, call it country. Um, although, you know, there are songs that have some, some country flavors, but uh, definitely it's in the country rock realm. Well, we're going to, we're going to listen to a couple of those songs in a little bit, but I want to go back to your, um, uh, go into more detail about the difference in the two rock groups, uh, because some of your description in our conversation that we had, uh, you know, that, that each group had a very different approach and did different things. So kind of talk about uh, those two things before we, we get into your, your solo work. Well, sure. So the two bands are uh, Metaphor and Mind Furniture, and I, I was in Metaphor first. Um, and metaphor is a uh, is a 1970s style classic prog band. So uh, the bands that drop that a little bit for for those of us that aren't in tune with with prog and uh, versus Americana. Sure, sure. So uh, I would say that, that classic 70s prog, the, the 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 touchstone bands would be Yes, early Genesis with Pink Floyd. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, with Peter Gabriel, Pink Floyd, um, uh, Vandergraaf Generator, uh, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, uh, and so forth. Um, uh, even in, in America, you know, uh, uh, Sticks in Kansas. So um, there are, you know, very long songs, sometimes 20 minutes long. Um, uh, and, you know, often uh, the... Uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the songs are bombastic and operatic <laughs> in their, in their pretensions. So progressive rock tries to is, you know, broadly speaking, uh, is a, is, is any kind of rock and roll that, that tries to accomplish something more ambitious than a three minute love song. Um, so, uh, so, you know, very long songs with, with, strange time signatures, uh, and, uh, a lot of dynamic range, uh, with alternating powerful and soft passages. Uh, that's, that's classic seventies kind of prog. Um, later I joined a, a band called mind furniture and, uh, mind furniture is more like nineties neo prog. So, so shorter songs, uh, and a much more kind of poppier, 
uh, approach to them, you know, much more hummable. Um, and so uh, between the, the those two, that that's really kept me musically engaged for uh, for many years. And uh, I love both bands for different reasons. Um, and both bands share several members. So uh, myself and the drummer and the bass player are actually in both bands. Um, but then you got, like I say, you, you got into to your own solo uh, album work. Well, uh, sure. Yeah. You know, I would bring material to both bands. And um, if it was too religious, they would say, uh, thank you, but no thank you. Uh, so I had actually amassed quite, quite a bit of of uh, religious uh, uh, material. And I thought, hey, I'll make a Christian album. You know, I grew up listening to contemporary Christian music and I still listen to it. I love it. Um, you know, even though I, I don't really relate to a lot of the uh, kind of evangelical theology in it anymore, it is still a music that is close to my heart. Um, and uh, so the idea of, of making a Christian album that uh, was congruent with my current theology um was really exciting well and the title of that is the title of the album is i want to change i want like, to be changed i want to be changed yes yeah. yes sorry uh about yeah and so we're going to listen to uh, a couple of songs uh from sounds that. great uh so the first one uh is going to be uh a harlot by the side of the road all right so let's listen to that one At the side of the road And I will lighten Your heaviest load Please do not listen To my keepers They lie They'll rob you of pleasure They won't tell you why now Don't listen to them They will tell you I'm good But I'm not good, baby I just did what I could now Don't listen to I'm just, but I'm not just, baby. I just love you so much.
sing at the end of your It's a, it's a wonderful song, uh, but in your notes, uh, you say that um, everybody has a God depicted as prostitute song. Uh, why do you think that is? I, I don't. It's it, it's a joke. <laughs> it just, yeah. Well, no, I didn't know. I thought maybe you knew of other, other no, folks I, that actually did that. I do not know of a single other song that uh, depicts God as a prostitute. Um, uh, which yeah, I was, I was just being silly there. Well, but you know, that, 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 that everybody, you know, it's a cliche. Everybody has a song about God as a prostitute, but you know, <laughs> this one's mine. Um, well, talk, talk a little bit about, um, some of the lines in the song. Uh, one of them is, uh, my keepers will rob you of your pleasure or of pleasure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I, uh, the song came from seeing the title of a book called the harlot at the side of the road. That was really, you know, about the, uh, the lesser known, uh, lesser known characters in the Bible. Um, but, uh, it caught my imagination, uh, to think that the harlot at the side of the road might, 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 might actually be God. Um, and uh, so uh, my keepers will, will rob you of pleasure. Um, uh, you know, I think that goes back to the old fundamentalist wounding um, that, uh, you know, that the, the church is, a, is, is against anything that might be, um, you know, remotely fun. <laughs> well, and I understand that, you know, that, you know let's say the, 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 the church leaders uh, have had the kind of keys that have kept other people out. Yes. Mark Hurd has a great song, uh, lyric in one of his songs that, uh, he says, uh, it's this pious anhedonia that we love so well, uh, which is uh, just a, a great, great line, but it's so true. You know, it's like, Hmm, well, if it's, if it's, if it's pleasurable, it must be wrong. I think there's, this kind of deep uh, puritanical impulse uh, that is still alive and well in a lot of, especially evangelical Christianity. Well, and then also um, two of the other lyrics, uh, they'll tell you I'm good, but I'm not. They'll tell you I'm just, but I'm not. Yeah. Uh, talk about that a little bit because, you know, that's kind of the, the two categories that we tend to like to think about God. We do. We do. Um, and, so the lyric there is, um, don't listen to them. They will tell you I'm good, but I'm not good, baby. I just did what I could. And don't listen to them. They will tell you I'm just, but I'm not just, baby. I just love you so much. Um, I think that one of the worst things that we have done theologically is projected this Greek notion of perfection onto God. Um, you know, perfection isn't a Hebrew notion. Um, it's definitely a, a, a Greek notion. Um, and there's nothing in the phenomenal universe that is perfect. Um, 
it is a fiction that exists only in the human mind. It is a stick that we use to beat ourselves up with. Uh, and that we imagine that, that 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 God uses to beat ourselves up with, but I think that is, uh, you know, that that approaches slander on God. Um, I don't think God is perfect. I think the Bible is very clear that God made lots of mistakes. And, you know, when uh, uh, you remember that that moment when uh, God got so angry that He was about to wipe out the Israelites, and uh, and Moses talked him out of it. And scripture says, uh, the Lord repented of the evil that he was about to do. Um, and, you know, Jesus definitely has uh, grumpy days um, that uh, if anybody else do it, uh, did, uh, did what he did, uh, we, we'd call it sin. So um, uh, the truth is, you know, the, the magic of the incarnation is that Jesus is one of us. I don't really have any use for a perfect savior. And Jesus himself says, why do you call me good? I'm not good. Um, I think God means well. I hope I do too. Um, but we've both made mistakes. And that's, uh, that's relationship. It's always messy. It's good, but it's messy. Well, from a musical standpoint, uh, you know, because my, my instrument has primarily been trumpet, uh, the trumpet background of that, uh, you know, having been to New Orleans myself, wandered down Bourbon Street, you know, sounds like a Bourbon Street jazz trumpeter in a strip club. <laughs> oh, well, that, that trumpeter uh, is He's good. <laughs> he was really good. Oh, she's good. She, oh, she's uh, good. Yeah, she uh, she's actually in Berlin. Yeah, well, she's really good. Uh, well, and the second song then is "Come On In." Yeah. So let's let's listen to that one. All right, sounds good. Come on in. We want you with us today. We know this place is sacred because you're here. Come on in. No matter how you pray, invite that holy mystery you hold dear to be near. Let's begin. Come on in. Buddhas and Bodhisattvas 
holy women who never got the ink. You come on in. We want you with us today. We know this place is sacred because you're here. Come on in. No matter how you pray, invite that holy mystery you hold dear. Now this one, uh, you you uh, wanted to include uh, in 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 part um, because it kind of expresses uh, your notion of inclusivism. It does, yeah. It's a very it's a it's a very inclusivistic song. It may even be pluralistic. Who knows? Yeah, well, you know, because you include animals and ancestors. Talk yes. a little bit about, about 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 how that is. Um, well. The song is a gathering song, you know, uh, saying, you know, you know, everybody, everybody is welcome. Come on in. Um, let's uh, uh, let's do this together. And, you know, the when the Native Americans are about to hold ceremony, they they call in all the ancestors. They call in all the animals. They call in, uh, you know, all of the spirits. They they call in everything they see because everyone is welcome. So I even call in our enemies if they'll come. Well, and I noticed that um, um, it, this one is a uh, kind of a folksy uh, approach. Peter, Paul, and Mary is what kind of came to my mind. <laughs> well, I would call it more Zydeco. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I hadn't thought about Zydeco, uh, with a little accordion and, and with the, yeah, with the accordion and the fiddle. Yeah. So uh, that, that's what I was going for anyway. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, it, it's kind of an infectious song. Um, 
is one that I the one that I really love. It'll get your toes tapping. Well, and and, and the, the 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 statement at the beginning: this place is sacred because you are here. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. Oh, we know this place is sacred because you are here. I think it is uh, the exact opposite of the um, I am a worm and no man theology that I grew up with, um, where we're all just uh, depraved sinners. Um, so this, this, this song and this album starts on a completely different note. Uh, this place is sacred because you are here. Well, your latest um, energies are devoted to some interesting novels. Yes, indeed. You've got um, a fantasy saga and you've got a outer space saga. <laughs> In the biz, um, we call that science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how did you wander down that path? Oh, I've always loved science fiction uh, and fantasy, of course. You know, I, I grew up with C.S. Lewis, so um, I loved the Space Trilogy and I loved Narnia. And, uh, and of course, that led me to, to Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. And um, uh, so the, the, the literature that I enjoy reading most has always been uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, and, I, and, the, uh, and the author that has... Uh, impacted me most spiritually is another member of the Inklings. Um, so along with C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, um, there's Charles Williams. And Charles Williams died in 1945, but before he died, he wrote seven novels that um, are sometimes called occult thrillers. Um, they are, in fact, very early examples of urban fantasy. Um, and in his novels, I caught a glimpse of a sacred world that interpenetrates our own. Um, he showed me a mysticism that I desperately wanted for myself. And I call his novel, All Hallows' Eve, the shout that started the avalanche that brought me here. Um, my debt to Williams is so great that uh, when I started my publishing company, I vowed to get all of his books back into print that I could. Uh, and indeed, I've got 13 of his nonfiction books back into print. And, um, and I am now working on uh, audiobook editions, uh, three uh, audiobook editions of uh, Williams' novels, All Hallows' Eve, War in Heaven, and Descent into Hell are out now on Audible and every other place that people listen to audiobooks. And um, working on the place of the lion now, um, along with um, new hardcover editions of those books as well. So, um, uh, my my debt to Williams um, is is you know is hard to quantify. He is uh, one of the greatest mystical theologians uh, of um, of the twentieth century, um, and uh, he. He just isn't well enough, uh, well, well known enough. And I think if he was, it would, uh, uh, I think it would be a great boon for the church um, because uh, especially for us uh, progressive Christians, 
uh, I think the the thing that we're kind of weak on is uh, is mysticism. Um, I think that we uh, make the mistake of leaving that to to the evangelicals um, when in fact, you know, it feels to me like we're we're trading our birthright for a, a bowl of porridge. Um, our mysticism is the greatest treasure that the church has, and it is enshrined in all of our teachings. And um, we have instead traded it for a uh, a scientific rationalism uh, that uh, uh, that exalts. Um, uh, science over spirituality to the point where we're kind of embarrassed of our spirituality. Um, if we, uh, you know, our churches should be safe places for us to talk about mystical experiences, um, to be supported in them, to, you know, to uh, help explain what's going on and help people unpack them. But in, instead, uh, our churches are, are not safe spaces. If we, we talk about mystical experiences, people will think we're crazy. I think we need uh, mysticism 101 classes, you know, just like we, uh, we have uh, sex ed classes in high school. I think our, our teenagers should, uh, should have uh, mysticism ed classes so that when they have mystical experiences, they, they won't head for the emergency room. They'll, they'll, they'll know what's happening and they'll know why it's happening and they will um, make the best use of the experience of the opportunity uh, in order to, uh, make a deeper connection with the divine than they've, than they've had before. So <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, I, I got so lost in the weeds talking about my love for Charles Williams. I, I think I forgot to answer your question. So, um, uh, the point is that mysticism is at the heart of all of Williams novels. And in my own novels, I've tried to cover a lot of the same ground, um, uh, after, after my own fashion. Um, so in, in every one of my novels, the main character has a mystical experience and then spends the rest of the book trying to come to grips with what that means for them. So I want to present the mystical experience, not as something exceptional, but as something, well, almost ordinary, something that happens to most people, you know, at some point in their lives or another, um, these experiences are invitations from God to take a step back and really look at our lives and how we're living them. And they're, they're invitations to a deeper and more intimate connection with the mystery at the heart of all things. Well, that is a great note to end on, and a hmm. great insight to end on. Uh, John, thank you uh, for all that you've contributed and all the many wonderful ways that that's been. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for this time. Uh, this has been a joy. Uh, it has. It has. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. You can find more about John and have access to all his resources from his website, johnrmabry.com. I will include the link to this on the blog spot for this episode. The intro and outro music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project's work song album and is used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project.
This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. Say the words from my mouth. Speak your peace.